Welcome to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt. Excited to have you here again for another episode. We are in the 90s now, and we're super excited and grateful that all of you have been tuning in uh, over this past year as we've been doing the Propreneur Podcast. And again, I just want to thank every single one of you for suggesting this podcast to your friends and your colleagues, because it is definitely through you that we are growing and we are sharing this message. And as always, we're trying to help you create and give you the best principles and best practices possible for your business. And today is no exception. I actually got to meet uh, Mick and Missy Johnson a few years ago at the PCSO event as they were hired to really get feedback from the speakers, from the vendors that were there, which was something that I had not yet seen in any of the events I'd gone to. And I thought it was really smart at PCSO to do this and also to be able to build a relationship and a connection with both Missy and Mick. And they are the owners of MJ Meetings out of Kansas City, and I'm excited to have them on the show and introduce you to them. So as we do, remember to make sure you take lots of notes, make sure that you are able to share this information with others. And if you are somebody who is running a meeting, big or small, you're really going to want to listen to this full episode. So thank you again for being here on the Pro Burner Podcast, and now let's get ready for the show. Welcome to the episode, Mick and Missy. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Well, we had a really cool pre-interview just a moment ago talking about how we've all shifted in this time of Corona. You know, it's that I was, I saw a meme the other day where somebody was talking about how in like five years, 2020 will be like a verb. Well, it'd be like, oh, how's your day being? Oh, it's so 2020, you know? (laughs) And so we've all experienced that. You are in a space where you're dealing with meetings and live meetings and booking meetings and helping people put together meetings. And so I really wanna get into understanding how you dealt with this whole situation over the last few months. But before we do on this show, we always start with your story. So if you would tell us a little bit about your story about how you started your business and working together as a couple and all, anything you wanna tell us about your story. Go ahead. Well, we actually just celebrated our 23-year wedding anniversary. So Woohoo! Awesome. That, that happened uh, October 11th. So um, the marriage comes first; the business partnership comes second. Yeah, yeah. Hey, sure. I'm an October marriage too. Ours is the 29th. That's awesome! Congratulations. So there you have it. So yeah, we we met at college at the University of Kansas. I asked her what the assignment was, and and here we are, all these years later. So um, nice. But yeah, we started the business uh, seven years ago, and um, you know, Missy's been a meeting professional for twenty plus years, and wow. she's really, really, really good at what she does. I'm I'm biased because I'm her husband, but I've also seen it and I've heard it from so many people over the years, and that really helped, I think, inspire us to start the business. I believed in her a hundred percent, and I remember when we first started it, I always like tell the story. She said, "You know, well, what happens if we?" if we fail. And I said, you know what? We're already a success. I said, you know how many people talk about doing this and never even try? So we're already a success. And I believe that if we're doing it together, that we will figure it out. And, and so, you know, here we are seven years later, obviously it's a, uh, as we were talking about in the, in the pre-show, you know, this was going to be our breakout year um, uh, of MJ meetings. So we already knew it was going to be our best year revenue wise ever. And then, you know, the pandemic hit, and then by June, every in-person uh, meeting and event had uh, had canceled. But uh, 
anyway, I mean, it's, we enjoy working together. You know, a lot of people, I'm sure you get this too. A lot of people say, oh my God, I could never work with my spouse. We would yes. kill each other. And like, how do you guys do it? And I was like, well, you know, we love each other. So, um, <laughs> helps. And, and one thing that Missy and I have always been good at is we know we stay in our lanes. Like we know what we're good at and we trust the other to do what they do best. And, and really that's what any good company does, right? Put people yeah. in place to do what they do best. And it's no different with us. She's the meeting professional. She knows what she's doing in that space. And I follow her lead there. And then I handle everything from, you know, the website and finances and dealing with the accountant and marketing things and stuff like that. So we just, we stay in our lanes and we support and respect each other. So. That's awesome. I love that. Missy, um, why did you want to get into the meeting planning space and how did you fall into that? Yeah, it's interesting because like Mick said, I've been, I've been in this industry for my entire career. Um, right out of college, I went to work for a large hotel company um, and I worked there for about five years and that gave me the exposure to the meetings industry. Um, but I learned real quick that I wanted to work somewhere and have a career in something that closed and wasn't open 24 seven, like, and 365, like hotels are. And so I decided to get on the side of the purchaser of hotel spaces and hotel guest rooms and learn meeting and event plannings from that perspective. So that's what I did pretty early on in my career and I've just evolved it and I've worked for many um, large and small uh, membership associations throughout my career and helping them strategize around and plan for their small, medium and large annual gatherings of their membership. So it's been a great, it's been a great industry for me and one where we could become entrepreneurs and create our own business inside of. So we're excited to be a part of it, although it looks a lot different in 2020. For sure, for sure. Well, with that view, the listenership that we have on this show, we have people who put together small study clubs in right, which is a, 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 say a couple dozen people. And then you have people who are doing big events. There's one actually happening this upcoming weekend. Uh, with the Orthopreneurs Group, which is a very large event, typically, obviously in person, you know, a couple hundred, couple thousand people. Um, when you are putting together meetings for people and you are talking about what should and shouldn't happen, let's talk a little bit about that before we even go into this last year of what's been going on. Because the fact of the matter is, and I think you guys believe this too, whether you're having a small meeting with maybe just your team, you know, you have 12 people on your team, you're putting together a meeting, uh, or you're having a large meeting where it's at a convention center, having some sort of organization and knowing what's going to be happening. And there's certain ways, you know, there's a great book called Cameron Her by Cameron Harrell called Meetings Suck, right? And I think a lot of people can feel that way. It's like meetings sink right now where a lot of Zoom meetings where people are Zoomed out, right? And they're tired of that. What are some of the things that you found where people make kind of mistakes when it comes to planning a meeting, big or small? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I always like to tell my clients and the other people that I work with is you have to begin with the end in mind. Think about what do you want your guests, your attendees, your audience to come away from the event feeling, thinking, doing post-event. So don't make your plan of what you're going to do when people are gathering until you've thought about what you want them to feel at the end of it. 
Um, and I think that's a good place to start because it can drive your decision-making throughout the planning process of, well, this doesn't really fit with what we want them to feel or think or do after the event. And this really does. So let's make these decisions a little bit differently. That's really interesting because, you know, how many, how many people have even their own small events in their office and it's really not thought through it's it starts from the beginning right well i have all these things i want people to hear me say or whatever but not what do i want them to walk away with because how many meetings i know i've gone to meetings before i've listened to speakers where they've said a lot but i've forgotten everything about it the moment that i left that room exactly <laughs> and and i think what you have to do is take yourself out of the perspective of well this is what i want to communicate or this is what they need to know Mm -hmm. And think about how are they going to hear it? How are they going to take that information and do something with it? And then figure out how to communicate it once you've asked yourself those questions. Yeah, I think that was really helpful too when we did the um, audit that we talked about. You know, yeah. it was fun for me and Missy because, um, you know, again, she's the meeting planner. So when she walks into a space, she's looking in, at, at things that the average person is not looking at. And she sees room setups and all kinds of stuff, flow, things like that, that energy, that, energy that the average person is not looking at. So she was really looking at it from that perspective. And I was really looking at it because I've gone to so many of these events and stuff with her over the years. I was really looking at it kind of from the attendee perspective. Mm -hmm. So we were both walking through this with different eyes and focused on different things. And we were able to pull that together kind of into the audit to say, okay, here's what you need to know from kind of the logistical side. And here's how it felt. And I think that's a lot of things that a lot of times that, that when, you know, when Missy talks about thinking about the end in mind, you know, start there, think about how you want people to feel, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and that circles mean, back to your question yeah. of how do you start? You know, you really want to start with, even if it's just like you said, a small team meeting for 12 mm -hmm. people, what do I want my team <laughs> to walk away with Yes, feeling and doing at the end of this one hour meeting? You know, don't, of course, we think about it in bigger, um, bigger gatherings, you know, when you're talking about a thousand person convention or some of those larger events, but the, the, the crux of it still applies. Yep. You know, just how do you, how do you want them to feel and think? Yeah. It's really well, setting, I, setting a vision, right? Yeah. A vision of what you want that to look like. I think it's a really good point, right? Because if you don't start with that little, uh, the nucleus of what the goal is, uh, what you want them walking out, whether you have a large meeting or a small meeting, it can come off badly either way, or it can come off great either way. The, the, Principles, the principles, the principles, right? The how we outline the book is still the way we outline a novel or any type of smaller book. You want to make sure there's a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Here in the same situation, whether you're having a 12-person meeting or a 12,000-person meeting, you want to have that, that idea. Now, you mentioned, Mick, that you guys, uh, the PCSO that we both met at when you were doing an audit. So you guys audit meetings, which I think is brilliant in the sense of, like you said, having fresh eyes, having new eyes. I talk about in one of my books about how your most valuable employee is the newest employee because they have fresh eyes and they're seeing stuff that you're not seeing. When you're hired to do that is very powerful. How do you work in your business? You have both the auditing side of it and you actually plan out meetings for people. And the second question that maybe Miss you can answer is, what's the biggest meetings that you've done and what's the smallest meetings and what's the difference between the two? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, so a lot of the, I guess, bread and butter really of what we do um, is, is booking and planning meetings and doing all the logistical planning and booking those meetings. As Missy's very good at contract negotiation. In fact, she likes it, which I'm like, Ugh, that makes me want to vomit. I'm sorry, I just fell asleep. Sorry. I know, that's what I'm saying. It's like, see, know your lanes. Like, I do not want to even look at the contract, and she <laughs> loves doing that. So, um, she's really good at that, and that really helps our clients when it comes to booking those meetings. And then she's great at all the logistical planning, too. And the audit part, really, honestly, it came up because PCSO's board had the, had the vision, or maybe it was their executive director, really, who we knew, who had this vision of, like, what, what we're talking about having you come and audit. And we hadn't really done that before. So mm-hmm. it was really a great idea on their part, to be honest. And nice. we're like, yeah, we have the skill sets to do this. It's just nobody had ever asked us to do it. And, uh, and we really enjoyed it. And, and I think they, they felt they got a lot of value out of it. So, well, and we can add value because we have experience in this industry doing this for a very long time. Like you said, meetings of all different sizes and scopes, and they're all different. But when you walk into something like that with fresh eyes and that you've never been to before, like Mick said before, you can bring a different perspective that someone who is deeply entrenched in that organization or in that event can't see because they're looking at it from, you know, a smaller perspective. So it's just something that, you know, we, we did enjoy doing and we will do again. And, you know, but it starts with the organization having the vision to know, oh, we actually need somebody that's not involved in this to, to give us their opinions. Well, and sometimes too, on that point, you know, I mean, we've all been in that position before, right? When you have people that are in the organization they may be saying some of the exact same things, but leadership's not listening to them. Right. All of a sudden, the consultant comes yep. in and says a lot of the same things, and that's when they listen. I mean, I in my years in corporate, I felt that many times, and I'm like, we're saying the same things here. It's just, you know, and it's one of my favorite things. In fact, it's from the class Missy and I met at KU Organizational Communications way back when at KU. They said, uh, in organizations, people want a voice more than a vote. And I've uh, always remembered that. And I've always used my voice, which is why I kept leaving corporate because corporate doesn't want to hear, your, hear voice. your voice. Yeah, and when, you're, when you come out the other side and all of a sudden you're a consultant, all of a sudden you yep. know what you're talking about. It's like, you no, know, the only thing that changed was that culture in that environment. So, yeah, I call it the uh, favorite uncle syndrome, right? Where it's like, uh, you know, I, as a parent of teenagers, we would say, do this, do this, do this. And they'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then you have favorite uncle or favorite aunt come in and say the exact same thing. And they're like, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Right. I can totally relate to that because we're aunt and uncle to a lot of kids. And it's the same way their their parents just say that. They're like, you told them the exact same thing, but suddenly they're listening. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's totally true. Well, let's go into a little bit about, obviously, you know, so many people on this listening to the show can relate because they were either participants, they were speakers, or supposed to be participants, supposed to be speakers at events this year, 2020, as if everything, as in everything, things have shifted quite a bit. Uh, March changed everybody's world, whether it be, again, if you're planning on going to an event or being, you know, part of the event, it shifted. And for you, your entire business was around events, not virtual events, events where people actually physically went to. So let's talk a little bit about how you guys have been able to incorporate new ideas and new opportunities in this time of people not going to actual live events. Yeah. So it's interesting because 
at the beginning of all of this, it was just a lot of shock and awe, right? Sure. And just trying to figure out what to do next and how long this might last. And of course, here we are now in October, and I don't think anyone would have predicted, unless you're a scientist perhaps, that this is where we would be um, seven months later or eight months later, however long it is, uh, in the live event space. It's just very... Um, as much as maybe we should have seen it coming, I don't think many people did. Right. And so, you know, what what we're left with is, you know, all these months later, uh, an environment where we're trying to figure out how to adapt, how to evolve, how to change. And in our specific case, what we came to realize was that, you know, doing the pivot, so to speak, wasn't really something that we wanted to do. Um, what we found in our environment was that we know what we're good at, and that's strategizing around booking and planning live events. Could we have pivoted to um, a virtual environment? Sure. But that would have taken from March until now for us to learn the skill sets to be able to do it. And by then we've been passed by, by the other people who already had the technology and the skill sets to do it. So we kind of realized quickly that it wasn't going to be feasible in a financially beneficial way mm -hmm. for us to make that pivot to a virtual environment in a meaningful way. We don't have a large business. We don't have a big company. Mick and I are the only employees, so to speak, and we bring in contractors when we get busy and when we have additional workload that needs to be handled. And so it just didn't make sense in our specific scenario to find a way to pivot that made sense for us. So instead, Mick mentioned in the pre-show pre that we just sat down and he figured out a financial plan so that we can kind of, for lack of a better term, wait this out and be patient. Like a lot of people have had to learn how to be patient. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that this environment that we're in where we turned virtual or we turned live events into virtual events has its place right now because we're in a, a pandemic that's very serious and people need to be separated socially and for very good reasons for all of our health. But when the time comes that it is safe to be together and it is safe to meet in small spaces with large crowds, the vast majority of our population will be ready and willing to do that because we're human beings and need to be together socially for our mental health and for a million other reasons. So, and this is honestly what a lot of membership associations were built on, is the ability to be able to come together with other like-minded people, create a culture where you can exchange information and build relationships within that community. Yeah. And, if, and that's what the association model is built on. That's never going to change as long as there's people that want to be with other like-minded people in whatever forum or whatever context that means for them. And so these meetings will come back. So for us, it just meant coming up with a plan to help our clients get through this time, the clients that we do have in whatever capacity or whatever way we can do that for them, 
and then wait it out so that we can get back to an environment where live events are safe. Yeah, I think that's really, really smart. What's interesting is you took the approach of, okay, let's just double down on what we're really good at mm-hmm. and, and know that we can, I don't know, sharpen our skills. I think exactly. there's a lot of uh, people that are rushing to, to change up what they do really, really well. And I, I can tell you, as somebody who's been a participant, I won't obviously name names, but participant of certain events, that it feels like they don't know what they're doing. And yeah. it feels like this is, well, it's the best we can do. And they're, and you can tell the companies too, that are throwing up stuff going like, oh, you can do this virtually. You can do that virtually without actually having the skill set behind it. And, and that's, that's really, really important for you. So what have you done then during this time to actually keep working? Or is it, I'm assuming you're just not like on vacation every day. I don't know. No, <laughs> we're not. On I know vacation. you get lots of tans in Kansas and stuff, but yeah. You know. Well, you know what? That it's funny you say that because um, we're not on vacation every day, and yet, what's wrong with being on vacation every day? That's true, huh? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean. That's so true. there's a little bit That's of a, a mix good point. of that for us, and mixed kind of life philosophy is always based on, you know, we're always running the rat race, and we're always like trying to keep up with what's new, what's next, what's what's happening. And to be honest with you, meeting and event planning is one of the most stressful jobs. Mm-hmm. It's like right up there with firefighter and wow. you know, um, police officer because it's so deadline driven and it's so time sensitive and it's so, um, it's just stressful. And so it's in this time where we were given a gift almost of being able to slow down and really think about what do we want to spend our time doing. It's been really nice because we've been able to decide how we're going to spend that time. Yes. Some of it has been building other skills and taking the time to strategize around what we want the next few years to look like. And, and, and just taking the time to really check in with our clients, even though they might need us, not need us in the same way that they always have, just being a resource for them in other ways and making sure that they understand that there are other skill sets that we have outside of live event planning that we can help them with. You know, I like to tell my clients, this is the best time to sit down and really strategize around what do you want for the future? For live events or virtual events or any of that, what do you want and how do you want it to look? Because if you've got the time to think through that and think through what do we, what, again, begin with the end in mind, you know, pretend like your event doesn't exist and what would you like it to look like if you could start from scratch? So trying to be there for them in in those times where they do want to strategize and think through something different or maybe add on a project that they weren't doing before and thinking through what that might look like. So those are the kinds of things, but honestly taking time to not do anything is okay in our books and just, you know, be okay with not being busy. Well, and I mean now too, for a lot of organizations, I mean, I think we've believed this for a long time, but you know, there are some things that have forced organizations to finally think about things that they weren't thinking about. And if you weren't strategic before, you have no excuse now. I mean, the landscape of meetings and events is changing and you should start with strategic. 
right to start there and think about like we were talking about before what do we want these to look like what do we want these to feel like what's the experience going to be like and you really need to put yourselves in the shoes of an attendee and i think most attendees understand too it's you know everybody's having to to change kind of on a dime so these things aren't going to be perfect right now right the first the first iphone was amazing but it wasn't perfect right you know takes time and so now is a perfect time for for those organizations who have done a virtual event and they they've learned some stuff from it now be really strategic going forward and i've been i've been telling missy for a long time and i mean i think that the 2021 could be the year of the hybrid uh and it may be 2021 2020 and, and eternity but i think there's a real opportunity here for if you look at associations okay maybe you used to have a thousand people that would come to your event for three or four nights and it's not probably going to be that in 2021 but you can do an in-person meeting and let's say it's 300 or 400 people actually make it because there are people who are already doing that by the way we don't have any clients doing it but we've we've seen that in other spaces so there are already meetings that are happening in person but what if you have another 800 or something that are online and getting that kind of you know, virtual experience because they didn't have the budget or whatever. Well, you've technically increased the population that is participating, you know, they're not in person and we all know it's not the same uh, being on Zoom, but you're getting more eyeballs on your content, your education and whatnot. So there's a real opportunity to go, hey, we weren't doing this before. We really need to be doing both of these. And again, from our perspective, um, MJ meetings isn't in a good place for that because they're going to need help being strategic. And they're going to need help executing those kinds of things. So, you know, like Missy said, I mean, we don't sit around and do nothing, but I will say there are times where, yeah, there are times where Missy and I are like, you know what, we're just not feeling it today. Whatever. We're tired of all the Zoom calls or whatever. And that's one of the reasons why we started our own business, because we get to make that call and we take care of our mental and physical health so that we're at peak for our clients when they need us. Um, I totally agree. So. No, I think it's great. I totally agree. There's actually, uh, I, I was mentioning in the pre-interview uh, that I did an event right after everything kind of shut down where it was only supposed to be about 800 people in the room, but because it went virtual, all of a sudden there was almost 2,000 people on there. That was 2,000 people eyeballs on my content, what I do. That totally exploded the ability for people to, to see me versus the 800 people in the room. Yep, it was virtual, but I train and I do things virtually that are very different than a PowerPoint presentation anyway. So it was able to show people, oh, there's a different way to do this. And then on the other side of that is, I know of a company right now, an association, I think they're the, the, association, the association of dental meeting consultants. They're a bunch of consultants basically that, you know, uh, have their own association they're doing the hybrid right now started yesterday some of them are in florida there's about 50 60 people in a room in florida the rest are virtual right so people are seeing that ability to do that and as you know things are shifting and growing and as more and more information is coming out people will get more comfortable with doing stuff like that so i totally agree with you and i also agree i think it's not only a good idea it's it's important it's vital for us to take that time, like I said, where just, you know, we decided to chill out for a day or two. We talked about your guys' trip to Colorado. I'm here in Arizona right now because I did that exact same thing with my wife where I went, yep, let's just take some time off the grid. We right. had no in- no internet, no nothing, just off the grid, you know, living on the land. Well, we had an RV, but still. 
Yeah. I think that's I, I'm, I'm not going to go camping in a tent. I mean, let's not get crazy. Yeah, right. I mean, you're not crazy. <laughs> let's not get too crazy. <laughs> I think that's been our approach for the longest time. I think there's a certain amount of, uh, of our entrepreneurial style is that we don't, we don't have to do it the way everybody thinks you have to do it. That's and right. I personally enjoy not doing it the way everybody thinks you have to do it. I remember years ago, I mean, I've been working from a home office for probably 15 years. And so I think it's hilarious that you have all these companies now that are like, oh my gosh, our right. employees can work from home. And, be and, who, and who, who knew they're productive and they're adults and they're responsible. And it's like, when I did that, when I started working from home 15 years ago, I remember people going, oh my gosh. I don't think I could ever work from home. Like right. I, think I would need to throw in a load of laundry. And I'm like, then you throw in a load of laundry. Like what? Right. And it, yeah. it shows you that mindset of how, you know, how organizations and we were talking about culture yep. kind of control people to where they stop thinking for themselves. They stop thinking strategically. But, but on that point, that's one good thing I think that is going to come out of this yeah. whole pandemic 2020 yeah. experience is that, it's teaching a lot of people who saw things with, you know, blinders on only one way that yep. our society can still continue. Our economy can still churn while we're all working in a new way and conversing and talking and connecting in a new way. It's just, it's just different. And this yep. is how, I mean, this goes on to say how the connection between live and virtual events will look different moving forward, but it definitely will because you have, again, this is one of my sort of mantras. You have to meet your attendees where they are. And there are going to be people in one year, in two years, in three years that still aren't comfortable yep. being in a live event environment. And those people are going to want to participate in a virtual space because they saw it was successful and it made them feel safe. And those are the people who are in an older demographic or perhaps um, just introverted or in you know high risk health category. Those people aren't going to feel as comfortable getting out and about <clears throat> and into a live event space as Mick and I, or maybe you would. And so it's just one of these things where You've got to have both now, I think. And that's what it's going to look like for more than a little while. Well, and hopefully you'll see um, associations and organizations to start to take on a little bit more of that entrepreneurial mindset. I know it's not, it's not easy for them. It's not, um, it's not their comfort zone. But I know like when we did that audit, you know, when we presented that to the board, we were like, look, you're going to have to try some of these things. And not all of them might work. Right. Or might work to a certain extent, and then you're going to pivot a little bit on it. You're going to tweak it a little bit so that it's better the next year, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, this, this overwhelming fear of failure that tends to go throughout corporate and and uh, association kind of environments. Like it's it's okay to fail because that's really learning, right? That's the right. opportunity to learn and go. And and, you, and you're seeing that. You know, because the pandemic fast forwarded that for everybody. So it's like, everybody's got to work from home. How is this ever going to work? And what do you know? Like I said, it, it's working in a lot of uh, organizations. I do think yeah. that, that some of the things you're hearing now is that some companies are like, oh, you know, we're just going to go virtual forever. And I think that's <laughs> short-sighted. I think that's a mistake. Again, yeah. as we were talking about before, perfect time to be strategic. Because maybe, maybe Dino works awesome at home. And maybe he crushes it and he's so product, productive at home. But maybe Mick isn't. Maybe Mick needs to uh, kind of an office space to be around and he needs to right. see people. So really there's an opportunity here for organizations to manage to the person 
which is the way yeah. it should have been for a long time. And I think the pandemic for the smart organizations, they'll look at this and go, okay, what do my people need? And certainly there are certain roles and stuff where you have to be in the office and all that. I'm just talking more generally from a culture standpoint. Well, yeah, and I think that there's this evolution that, you know, happens. And I always, I talk about often the evolution of your office, the evolution of a business. And this forced an evolution on some. It's funny because when you think back to just even a year ago, if somebody would have given you the option of going to a live event or, oh, you could also, we are live streaming it. I mean, I used to look at those and be like, Who, who's going to sit in their house and watch an event go on live stream when they could actually be at the event? Right. Now, we're more open to those ideas. Now we're like, okay, yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, I can handle that doing that, you know, and I want to get the information. I might not be able to travel to the event. And so in the future, knowing that there will be that hybrid there, there will be a lot more people open to that and available to that. And it will also force the meeting organi organizers, it will force the, um, the associations to think through that process more hey, we need to have, you know, better cameras for people to be able to see it if they are at home. We need to have uh, organized the way that we are on stage and who's participating and what, have more interactive parts of our program so that everybody can be involved. So I think it's a really, really valuable thing. And I'm glad that you guys are being able to take the time to plan for that when everybody's ready to go back to that and, and utilize that. Yeah, um, talked about too with you you know um when we saw you at that uh, at the meeting we were auditing i mean yeah. and i felt that energy from you the moment we walked in the room and it was a very different feel when we were in another part of the meeting so same thing applies to virtual meetings right have, right. have an mc who can tie it all together who's got energy and personality because you know that's almost even more critical now because these things can be so drab. The other thing is, you know, people can be staring at their phones and doing other things while they're looking at a screen. Right. You know? um, so gathering, you know, capturing their attention is not as easy. And so an MC that knows what he or she is doing can make a big difference. Well, I I totally agree, and I think when it comes to speakers, when it comes to uh, the 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 presentations that you're creating one thing this is going to force people to do is to be a little more creative with the way that they are presenting things, looking at the different uh, ways of production that don't have to be super expensive, don't have to be over the top, but also, as you said, keep people engaged. The burnout that I see happening with virtual events is no one wants to see yet another PowerPoint presentation with, you know, the speaker in the little box in the corner, right? So, you are going to have to be inventive with it. You are going to have to shift it up. But isn't that the same thing with any meeting? Like is. those meetings that you go to where everybody's still doing PowerPoint, it's no different than being on a Zoom call, except for your live being bored as opposed to in your home being bored, right? Right. Mm -hmm. PowerPoint should be permanently banned from all events. Moving oh, forward. you're speaking There's a million language. other ways to get your message across, and it's just... The fact that some speakers still don't understand that is kind of mind blowing, but, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's a different experience in the virtual um, event space and you have to look at it that way. Yeah. 
for sure, for sure. Well, let's go on to, uh, we have this part in our show where we ask a, a series of, of questions just to kind of pick your brain, let people know a little bit more about you. I really do appreciate your guys' time and you explaining more of what you've been doing during this whole pandemic situation. And what I think is probably the most important and valuable piece of information is this, the idea that if anybody who's listening takes anything from this is, have a purpose and a vision for what you're doing this meeting for, whether it be a meeting of you and your eight people in your office or 800 people. I Just having that vision, the beginning with the end in mind is such a valuable idea and concept uh, behind that. So are you guys ready to play? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So first question is, what is something that everyone should be doing in their meetings? I'm going to pivot it to what you guys do in their meetings uh, I'm sorry, what is uh, an area where people are missing an opportunity in the meetings that they put on that they could be capitalizing on? Well, I think the biggest thing is creating energy from the very beginning. And as you and I talked about, that has to be created. It can't just happen organically or it generally doesn't happen organically. So you as the meeting organizer have to find ways to create that energy. If you want your attendees to feel good at the end of your event, you have to find ways to inject energy. Maybe that is a, a creative and energetic MC that kind of weaves you know, the whole program together. Maybe it's music, maybe it's video, you know, really motivational um, video, uh, motivational music, something that creates energy for people. And um, it doesn't have to be expensive, but it can be um, really, really effective. Yeah, I agree. Even just setting that intention of what you guys are wanting out of this and hey, what we hope that you get out, letting people know, hey, this is what we want for you. Yeah. Um, and like you said, that energetic uh, music making, I mean, it's fascinating how many people don't think about the music mm-hmm. that they're going to be playing before the thing gets started or before each speaker or like that. I've been in meetings where there's nothing. It's just, okay, right. we're gonna have somebody come up and music though is so energetic. Yeah. All right. So uh, Mick, I'm gonna ask you the next question. What is a book that you think every person organizer of a meeting or even a practice owner should be reading i don't know if i have one specific that's like meeting planning specific i did recently finish the infinite game by simon sinek so Uh, good i know so good and it's funny because you know you read through that book and i'm sure you had that experience too right like you read through it and like so much of this is like feels like common sense yeah it's just not common practice but that one stuck out to me, especially like we were talking about before about these organizations that are like, oh, we're just going to have everybody stay virtual now. You know, right. that's, that is a, that's a short-term that's right. process. It's, they're not thinking the infinite game. They're not thinking the long game. And uh, so I think that book, book is great. So I think the perspective of that for uh, everybody and just business in general, right? Like for me, it's about what's the legacy I want to create beyond me like that goes beyond me in the world. I love that part at the very beginning when he's, he talks about, you know, there's no winner of business. There's no winner of life, right? No one's, Hey, you won life. You know, you didn't get a trophy for it. It's yeah. uh, that infinite idea. You know, just to be fair, Susie, is there a book that you'd like to mention too? Uh, no, I'm not a big reader. Um, I'm just, I, I read magazines and I watch a lot of, yeah, I watch a lot of pods and things like that, but yeah, I don't a lot of business book reading, to be honest. 
Yeah, I am a, I'm a, an auditory person. So I listen to a lot as opposed to reading a lot. So that's for sure. So in my book, The Practice Rx, I do focus on team culture and team performance as the foundation for business growth. And we've mentioned culture a few times in this call. What do you see is uh, the biggest challenge that organizers of these events have when, uh, when it comes to the teams that they're creating around them and the culture they're trying to create? The biggest challenge? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's one of those things that's not very well thought through. It's not something that, that organizers think about and they need to spend more time thinking about it and making sure that they're being very intentional about who they're putting together and why they're putting them together and who needs to be involved in that and who doesn't need to be. So just the intentionality behind that, I think is important. Is there, do you see, this is a random question that, from what you just said, I'm assuming you probably see a lot of uh, chaos cultures or chaotic cultures because of people who are hired to do a job that maybe they're not equipped to do the job or that they have a lot of people doing the same job. There's not a good organization around it. Is that yeah, something that you've noticed? I'm sure. I mean, Mick likes to talk a lot about company culture because <laughs> that's one of his specialties topics, but it is, it is a, it, it's amazing to me how people are put into jobs and roles that they're not equipped to really handle. You know, just one thing that I think about is, you know, a really excellent salesperson in any kind of business or industry, they're excellent at sales because they're really good at, at talking to people and managing those relationships. And then they're made director of sales and instead of selling at that point, they're all of a sudden managing a team of other salespeople, but they weren't skilled at directing right. other people and managing other people. <clears throat> they were skilled at sales. So yep. why do we put them in these roles just because they're really good at that one thing? So that's just something. Totally agree. Yeah. And it's like I said earlier, I am passionate about culture just because I've been a part of so many of them. I mean, I've been in those large corporate environments. I've been in three different startups, you know, and it's amazing to me how many still get it wrong. And I think what it comes down to, honestly, is just good, honest communication. Yeah. And I'm hoping that the pandemic has forced some people to do that because at the end of the day, treating people like adults, treating people like the professionals that they are, you know, and having honest conversations. And oftentimes there are really good ideas on your team. You just haven't taken the time to ask them about it. Totally. You know? um, and that, that part is maddening. So I am one of those people. I, I remember in my younger in my career, I would talk about these kinds of ideas and people like, oh, you're thinking of like some kind of utopian culture that doesn't even exist. And, you know, people used to give me crap about it. I'm like, well, I would rather be trying to do that instead of believing that it can't happen. Right definitely not going to happen with that kind of mindset and that kind of attitude. And that really, I mean, it, it starts at the top, right? You've got yeah. to have that kind of visionary leadership and you've got to hire that way. And you, you know, your, your um, missions and values and all that have to be more than something that just hangs up on the wall. Yes, you totally. You have to hire that way. Um, I mean, I used to be, I'm a recovering recruiter and I used to see that kind of all the time, you know, I mean, they would look at a resume, they would make decisions about a resume without even meeting the person or talking to the person. And then they'd go through this litany of just boring, not personal interacting questions. Yep. And, you know, and it's like dating, right? <laughs> yeah. Why would you fake it 
for like six months and then you realize, oh, this isn't the person that I thought they were. It's yeah. better if you can be open and honest up front. And, and I just, you know, you don't see a lot of cultures that execute well on that. So I feel like you've either read my book or not. <laughs> yeah, it's like a lot of reason our paths crossed, right? Like true. So we true. are yeah, brothers from another mother. That's right. Well, how can, uh, the next question is, how can people reach out to you? Like what's a way that they can connect with you? So they can go to our website, mjmeetings.com and all of our contact information is there. Um, both we're on both on LinkedIn and we're both on, both on Twitter. So they can find us through those ways. Yeah, probably the best way is just to go to mjmeetings.com and you could contact us there. So does it just depend on who's uh, having the conversation? Is it, is it Mick Johnson meetings or Missy Johnson meetings? It's just like whoever gets A little gets bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> I want to start a fight here. Works out well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can email me at mick at mjmeetings.com, just M-I-C, and then missy at mjmeetings.com. Pretty easy to find. And I mean, the reality is, and you know this, like a lot of our opportunities come through trusted relationships and people that we've with over the years because they've gone through the process. Like, like I told you in the pre-show, like I know how good she is at meeting and event planning. I mean, right. I, we've been married 23 years. We've been together for 28. She's really, really good at what she does. And so um, I have found through some of the sales process, you know, meeting planners tend to like to be kind of behind the scenes, you know, that's the way they're wired. Um, so it took a little time for Missy to realize like, you know, you are a big part of the brand here. Like you've got to be out front. And, um, and so, you know, we've found in sales conversations and things like that, she's got all the knowledge around meeting and event planning, but I will also say some things that she might not say and might not feel comfortable saying. That's right. That and yeah. And it kind of works out well. So that's awesome. Okay. What's the best advice that you've ever received in life or business? Oh, man. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> that is, off the top of your head. Is a, um, I would say, you know, one of the lessons I learned, um, kind of early in life, probably from my father is just kind of, you know, there's, it's twofold roll with it and fake it till you make it. So sometimes you don't always know what's coming and you just have to be able to, you know, kind of roll with whatever's put in front of you. And I think that's a valuable skill set to learn because if you are someone who easily gets thrown off by change, then this is not the industry for you. And in most cases, most industries would probably say the same thing. Um, and then the fake it till you make it is just sort of like, you know, um, you might not have all the answers, you know, you might have some of them, but you just sort of roll with whatever and, and try to be the best version of you and the best version of what you know in that moment. And sometimes that's enough. Sometimes it's not, but you know, that's just how you got to kind of go with life. Yeah. I love it. That's great. What about you, Mick? Uh, you know, that's a real tough one because I sit and think about my career and I think about all the times that I have moved and I've moved so many times with nothing lined up because I had to get out of a situation that I just, it wasn't allowing me to be true to who I am and mm -hmm. my values and what I believe. And that's why eventually you get to a place where you're running your own thing because you get to do it the way that you believe. Yeah. Done. So honestly, and this, I hope this doesn't sound, I, I just want to share maybe my own kind of personal motto. You've probably seen it over the years, but I did, I lost my dad when I was 23 years old. He was 46. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a saying that says, you know, when's a boy become a man? It's when he loses his father. That absolutely happened to me. 
And somewhere along the line, I started kind of writing down all these different thoughts I had. And, and one that has really become my mantra is just carpe diem the shit out of this life. And that's how I live every day. And I mean, that's how, you know, I've told this story so many times, like whether we have a life decision or business decision, I'm like everybody else. Like I have this person on this side that's like, well, can we afford it? Should we do it? You know, all the doubt that sits on this Mm -hmm. shoulder. And over here is that my dad died when he was 46, you know, and I can go back to that memory in my head of speaking at his funeral as a 23 year old. So when I have these decisions, I usually go with this and I'm like, screw it. We're going to do it. You know, when, right. we, when we did the business, it was that believe, I believe in, a, in her and I 110%. And if we're doing it together, we will figure it out. And we have done that so many times mm-hmm. uh, throughout our life and career. And that's what the pandemic, you know, the pandemic is the probably the toughest challenge we've ever faced as business owners, other than when we first started up with zero dollars and zero clients, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, and, but we will figure it out. And I believe that. So, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, what a really great note to end this on and then this show on. Thank you both so much for not only your words of wisdom, but your time. And I know that, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about this uh, while we've been talking about how sometimes the best pivot is not to pivot. Right. And, and that's exactly what you guys have shown us is keep going down the, the path that you know, and, and that you are evolving through sharpening your saw during this time, getting ready for when people are, are going to be needing those services even more than they did before. So I just love it. And thank you for sharing that information, your wisdom with us. We really, really do appreciate it. Of course, yeah, we're thanks. happy to do it. Thanks for having me. I think this is the first podcast we've ever been on. So yeah. You know, oh, fun. Well, we good. It. it was awesome when you um, when you reached out. So we. I'm really honored to be your first. This is great. <laughs> that's, that's we're great. honored to be your 93rd or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you again, everybody, for listening to the Propreneur Podcast and for being uh, here every single time that we send out a new episode. Thank you for being a part of the tribe that we are. Really, really appreciate it. And always, as we tell you every single episode, our goal here is to help you be more proactive, productive, and profitable in all areas of your life. We'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.